Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Crowds cheer and chant, God is great, as rescuers pull a family of survivors from the rubble in northern Syria today, all of them expected to recover. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The scale of Monday's earthquake became ever more apparent today as the death toll jumped by thousands to more than 7,800. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more, but first a warning that some of the images might be disturbing. With each new sunrise, the scale of destruction across southern Turkey stretches further towards infinity. This hospital in Iskenderun, once a place to cure the sick, has now become a makeshift graveyard. It's very difficult, says this doctor. With time now the ultimate enemy, rescues become more miracle than expectation, a monumental yet delicate task. 25,000 25, the Turkish search and rescue crew is on the mission. It's impossible to imagine the grief of so many and agonizing to see it in the eyes of those who have lost everything. 15-year-old Ermak Hanser died when her building collapsed in Kahar Manmaresh, Turkey. And like any father would, Mesut holds his daughter's hand. <laughs> Heartache that extends into northern Syria where some fathers have lost mothers, others, despite all odds, have found their children. But the task is grueling. There's no state, no equipment to help these people, this resident says. The main access from Turkey to Syria has been destroyed, further isolating a population already ravaged by war that's now facing a new crisis. This Aleppo man says his sister, her husband and two kids are under the rubble. Anguished, all he can do is watch and wait. International support, while plentiful in Turkey, is struggling to reach Syria. This citizen says the civil defense is working and helping with their hands. More aid is coming despite few diplomatic relations, including some of the $10 million announced by Ottawa on Tuesday. It's really a, an extent of a disaster that exceeds every capacity of uh, every country. A disaster hindered by the throes of winter that will likely take months to mend, maybe a lifetime to heal. Reggie Cicchini, Global News. With thousands of collapsed buildings across parts of Turkey and Syria, as you heard, the need for skilled rescuers is limitless and the frigid conditions are making their efforts a race against time. Now a local, volu uh, local volunteer group is heading to Turkey to help. As Grace Key tells us tonight, the Burnaby Urban Search and Rescue Team is just about to head to the disaster zone to help with the rescue. Grace? Yeah, the flight to Turkey should be taking off in about 45 minutes or so. So it's going to be a long 15-hour journey. We did manage to catch up with the team as they were checking in. 
Clayton and they said they're ready for us to load the check baggage. In 24 hours, these 10 volunteers with Burnaby Urban Search and Rescue scrambled to get supplies together to make the 15-hour flight to Turkey, hoping to help with recovery efforts after Monday's deadly quake. We're all volunteers. The reason we're doing this is because we feel we're pretty lucky to live where we are. Uh, when we see stuff like this, we want to help. Passport. Most are Burnaby firefighters. One is from White Rock. They're a technical search team that can help locate buried victims. They're bringing medical and technical rescue equipment. They'll also be self-sufficient with their own tents, water and supplies. I think there's six or seven major city centres um, that are, are really struggling for help. We'll probably be assigned there, meet with the local people in charge and then they'll assign us. The death toll has grown to more than 7,000. The number of injured is estimated to be in the tens of thousands. It's one of the most powerful earthquakes to hit Turkey and Syria in a century. More than 5,700 buildings have collapsed in Turkey. It's now a race against time as the global community offers assistance for a massive rescue effort. What happened in one day is like it's like a war zone and it happened overnight and uh, right now uh, even the remaining buildings are collapsing and uh, this is so much uh, encouraging. Uh, this, this makes me so happy but then it, it makes me also so emotional at the sa same time. They're carry-on and it's outside. Volunteers like Sean Mohammed are putting home life on hold to help out. I'm leaving a five-year-old's birthday, but I promised him a good couple transformers when I get back. But I have a really understanding wife and, and kids, so they know that this is the right thing to do with our skill set and uh, being able to go there and help a lot of people. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's worth the, the bit of pain that you, you get at home. And happy birthday, Kingston. <laughs> So the team is expected to be there for about a week, possibly returning on the 14th. They're not exactly sure where they're going to be going until they touch down. Turkish Airlines also is carrying about 11 pallets, two tons of donations that have been organized by the local Turkish community here. All right, thanks for that, Grace. Key reporting tonight at YVR. And aid organizations are jumping into action to help those affected by the earthquakes. For Canadians who want to help, you can donate to the Humanitarian Coalition. That brings together verified organizations, including Oxfam Canada. Go to their website, together.ca, or you can call 1-855-461-2154. In other news now, the provinces have an offer of more health care funding from Ottawa, but it's far less than they say is needed to save the struggling system. David Eby calls the offer fiscally limited, and as Julie Nolan reports, the nearly $200 billion deal comes with strings attached. Canada's 13 premiers react to the federal government's health care funding proposal now on the table. Clearly disappointed in the offer, Ontario Premier Doug Ford even dismissed it as a mere down payment for what's really needed. Uh, this is the beginning. Uh, I always look at it, you know, the glass is half full. Um, and again, it's good that we sat down and... And I'll, I'll never uh, refuse new funding. British Columbians want to see us working with the federal government to deliver care at a time when our health care system's in crisis. The funding from the feds would look like this. 
$196.1 billion over 10 years and $46.2 billion in new money, plus $2 billion in immediate funding. It's a top-up to the Canada Health Transfer, or CHT, to relieve substantial strain on pediatric hospitals and emergency rooms and to alleviate long wait times for surgeries. This proposal is fiscally limited, but I think that uh, provides a foundation and some reassurance to British Columbians that we're having those conversations and we're moving forward. I'm looking forward to future conversations with my colleagues across the table and also with the Prime Minister. There's also $1.7 billion more for wage increases for personal support workers. In addition, there's $2 billion for Indigenous-specific funding. I think that this recognition that there needed to be a special line item was a very important measure. The Prime Minister's proposal also includes a 5% annual hike to the CHT for the next five years, resulting in a restructuring of that funding formula long-term. But there are strings attached to the proposal as well. The feds want better tracking of health care data. Speaking as the head of this group, Manitoba's premier says much more analysis is needed. They have put some new monies on the table. We'll have a look at what that means uh, to all of us within our various jurisdictions. She adds while it's money that wasn't here yesterday, the first ministers say they need time to see if the funding truly stacks up to the needs of each province. Julie Nolan, Global News. All right, we're going to bring in Keith Baldry now with some analysis on how this funding offer applies specifically to B.C. and why mm-hmm. really we shouldn't be bamboozled by that nearly $200 billion figure. Keith. Yeah, the more years you add on to this, the bigger the number gets. And we're talking health care. We're talking huge numbers. So uh, governments like to do that, to stretch funding over a longer period of years because it looks like they're giving more than we're actually getting up front on it. So again, when it comes to BC, uh, we get about 13% per capita of the funding. So this is how it works out over the next 10 years. And keep in mind, this is a 10-year funding envelope. Uh, currently, we get about $21.5 billion that had already been promised. This is the new stuff down below. The new top-up for pediatric wards and ERs, $273 million. 5% guaranteed annual increase. Over 10 years, that works out to more than $2.4 billion. Big ch- uh, chunk here is bilateral agreements unique to each province. Uh, for instance, we have an older gener- older population that accesses seniors' care more than other provinces. That works out to more than $3.3 billion. It all adds up over 10 b- years to $6 billion in new funding or $600 million a year. Now, again, you heard Doug Ford say glass half full, glass half empty. $600 million a year is great, but that's about 2.5% of the annual health care budget every year. We spend about $25.5 billion a year. It goes up about $800 million a year. Good news is the, the decline of federal share of spending seems to have stopped and it's now going to increase. It's not increasing as much on this plan, nearly as much as what the premiers are looking for, but it may be that the, the worst days when it comes to fund, federal funding health care may be over if this deal mm-hmm. is uh, actually agreed to. Uh, one more point out of uh, Victoria today, and it is a health note, but it's a personal health note for Selena mm-hmm. Robinson, the Minister for Post-Secondary Education, made a health announcement today. Yes, so Selena Robbins, former finance minister, current uh, advanced education minister, at the end of her uh, contribution to the throne speech debate today, talked about how she was a, a, she's a cancer survivor. But she went to her oncologist uh, about a year and a half ago and was told she was cancer-free uh, with a rare gastrointestinal cancer, Geist cancer, uh, that she'd been fighting for 15 years. A year and a half, her oncologist says it appears you're cancer-free. She went back for another test in January, late January, and was told the cancer has returned. But she told the House she's not going anywhere. Uh, 
Uh, David Eby says she's one of the toughest people he, uh, he knows. He's m mentioned that on Twitter, so he's joining everyone, wishing her all the best and sending her love and strength. Also, I just talked to Selena Robinson just a few moments ago in, in the office, and she says she's not going anywhere. She's going to fight this as she fought the last time. And as David Eby says, everyone knows she's a very feisty person, and she's certainly going to give it her all fighting this one. Uh, and again, she's asking people to donate to the Tour de Tour, de, uh, what do we got? Tour de, de Tour. Of, uh, uh, with the BC Cancer Federation. She rides in this area and she wants people to make a donation to that. So she's using this opportunity to ask for people to make that donation to contribute to the BC Cancer Foundation ride. I think it's in August of this year. The Tour de Cure, for sure. Tour All right, thank you. Yeah, that's the one. Thanks very much, Keith. And you can add our good wishes as well uh, to those. Uh, I'll be, I'm, I'm going to have a drink with her right now. I'll pass that mm -hmm. on to her. Thank you Say very hi. much, Keith. All right, appreciate it. <laughs> Well, despite the new promises, a new survey shows most Canadians don't expect the healthcare system to improve anytime soon. According to exclusive Ipsos polling for Global News, 60% of Canadians view the quality of healthcare as good. But that's down from 72% during the height of the pandemic in 2020. Only 18% of respondents expect the system to improve in Canada. As for what's to blame for the state of healthcare, 72% cite staffing shortages, followed by a lack of federal funding at 51% and inefficient spending at 48%. The B.C. government is introducing legislation to make the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation a provincial statutory holiday as well. The day, also known as Orange Shirt Day, has been marked on September 30th since 2013 and as of 2021 became a federal stat holiday. Making the day a B.C. stat holiday means provincial government employees will also get the day off. The observance of Orange Shirt Day as a stat will start this year. There is no longer an excuse for anybody, no matter what age, to not know what happened to us and the history behind residential schools and the intergenerational impacts. Orange Shirt Day was created to have conversation at least once a year, now it, I think it's every day, about residential school. The legislation introduced today represents one more step on that path, and we owe nothing less to future generations. BC now joins PEI, Nunavut, the Northwest Territories, and the Yukon in making Orange Shirt Day a statutory holiday. A BC Marine company and its director have been charged in connection with a deadly tugboat sinking nearly two years ago. But as Kristen Robinson reports, the families of the two men who died say it's not enough. It's not going to bring Charlie back. Genevieve Craig, pleased to see charges in the tragedy that claimed two lives, including her son's, but still fighting to stop small tugboats from hauling massive barges. Justice and change in the name of Charlie and Troy is vital. It can't be for nothing. Charlie Craig was 25 and dreamed of working for the Coast Guard when in February 2021 he boarded the tug Ingenica, assigned to haul a barge from Kitimat to Kamano. It was his first day on the job. He had never stepped on a tugboat before. The Ingenica sank in the Gardner Canal during a storm, killing Charlie and Captain Troy Pearson. The tug's 19-year-old mate survived. Nearly two years later, the tug's owner, Wainwright Marine, and James Bates are charged with eight offenses under the Workers' Compensation Act, including failing to ensure the health and safety of workers, 
failing to maintain protective equipment in good condition and failing to provide workers with necessary training and supervision. Without criminal charges, the message that's going out to industry and marine workers is that death in the workplace is the cost of doing business. Transport Canada has issued $62,000 in fines to the Ingenica's owners, but the union representing tugboat workers says more needs to be done to ensure industry safety. You know, when the price of business currently is $62,000 for two fatalities, that does not act as a deterrent for employers to, to start doing better. It's not going to bring back Charlie or Troy. Tugs under 15 gross tons are exempt from certain federal regulations. Judy Carlick Pearson, who lost her husband Troy, wants better and properly enforced safety rules. Two years have passed since these two men uh, were killed in this incident on our coast, and yet not a single safety measure has been strengthened. Craig and Carlick Pearson say they'll keep pushing until changes are made. From day one, it was um, it was the importance of, of carrying on the legacy and, and, and doing right by Troy and Charlie because of how diligent and honourable they were as mariners. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Global News reached out to Wainwright Marine for comment but didn't hear back by deadline. If convicted of a first offence under the Workers' Compensation Act, the maximum fine is $777,000. Living next to a busy highway leads to a brush with death. I heard this loud rustling, cracking noises. How a shoe swap family lost their home and nearly their lives when an out-of-control semi-truck skidded off the road and why it's still there. Next on the News Hour. Drive-through road rage. A Tim Hortons customer in double, double trouble after this angry outburst. That's coming up on the news hour. And puppies left homeless with COVID-era dog breeders going out of business. That's later as well. Right now, though, a woman in the shoe swap is calling for improved safety measures on the Trans-Canada Highway after an out-of-control 18-wheeler left the road and barreled into her house. For Hilda Freimuth, it's still a shocking sight. An 18-wheeler lodged inside her house in Sorrento. I'm lucky that this happened, but lucky that it turned out the way it did. One week ago, the truck slid off Highway 1 and slammed into her house as she was napping. I heard this loud rustling, cracking noises, like a tree was coming down or something, and then just this huge bang, just enormous and then uh, the whole house shook it was like an earthquake she was unhurt incredibly so too was the driver i was just in shock and i saw lots of people coming down from the highway bless their souls to help in the coming days a structural engineer will attempt to remove the truck's cab which is jammed into her garage the, the structural engineer said the garage took the entire impact so let's hope that that is correct once they get the rig out they'll do a reassessment Hilda says there really should be a barrier on that stretch of roadway. The transportation ministry couldn't say if that's under consideration. So I'm not just going to sit back and allow that not to happen. I think it needs to happen just for everyone's safety here. It could have been a lot worse, right? Despite her close call with an 18-wheeler, Hilda says she hopes to move home in the coming days. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
The B.C. government has released the latest bill for repairing the major highways that were damaged during the flooding of November 2021. Transportation and Infrastructure Minister Rob Fleming says so far the government has spent $250 million on the damage to highways 1, 5 and 8. And he says that is likely just the beginning. We had about 430 damaged sites on those highways and other areas uh, across the province from the November 2021 uh, atmospheric rivers. As you know, the, the, the pace of rebuilding to do the temporary repairs, which are quite durable and impressive, uh, was amazing. And we have a lot of people to thank in the Ministry of Transportation and the BC road building industry, but we're not done yet. We think the permanent climate resilient uh, repairs uh, for the three major damaged highways will probably be about a billion dollars. Fleming says as part of the remediation, the Coquihalla Highway will have floodplains built around new bridges to prepare for future flooding. The good news, 70% of the costs will be eligible for federal disaster funding. The Semiamu Fish and Game Club is starting work to build a new hatchery. The new project at Little Campbell Hatchery will be built on higher ground than the current building. It'll house the 100,000 young salmon the hatchery raises each year. Design work on the new building is already underway, with construction expected to begin next winter. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We were devastated by the floods of 2021. And um, it became obvious that we needed to look at building in a better place where we wouldn't be subjected to flooding all the time. Because right now, this building that we're in is right on the river. Initial funding for the project was provided by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans and the Rotary Club of White Rock. The project is expected to take four years and cost between 1.5 to $1.8 million. A North Vancouver family feeling tormented by teenagers. I don't feel safe in my home anymore. Repeated attacks caught on camera. They say police aren't doing enough to help them. Also, food for thought. The grocery industry defends its inflation-driven profit coming up. Busy but steady in both directions here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just recently cleared a car with a flat tire southbound at the south end. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $15 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Surrey RCMP have launched an investigation after a disturbing incident of road rage in a Tim Hortons drive through It happened just after 9 a.m. Sunday at the coffee shop in the 15200 block of 56th Avenue. The driver obviously lost his temper, screaming and swearing at the drive through worker before eventually driving off. Police have now identified the driver and are conducting follow-up interviews with witnesses. A North Vancouver family is going public about an unrelenting campaign of torment by neighborhood teenagers. They've been targeted by racist and sexually explicit graffiti and other mischief for months. And they say RCMP aren't taking their concerns seriously. Kamal Kuramali reports. 
A swift kick to the front door, one of the many intimidation tactics by a group of teens tormenting a North Vancouver family. I don't feel safe in my home anymore since this happened and I can't fall asleep most of the night. It's been relentless, says Rola Bellon. The vandals striking at all hours of the day since last summer, but the worst happening most recently. Security footage capturing people on Tuesday of last week using their garage door for racist and homophobic graffiti. It's definitely somebody that's paid us, somebody that doesn't want us to be here. I don't feel safe in my whole home. I don't even feel safe at all. Bailon, her husband, and five kids are perplexed. The family has no idea why they're being targeted by these teens. They've caught their faces on camera and are now frustrated that the RCMP haven't laid any charges. We're working very closely with our youth support team and the schools to try to identify the suspects. The family from Lebanon is worried that won't happen fast enough and the harassment will escalate. I'm so frustrated for now because I'm not able to get an answer and I'm scared that's at home getting targeted like this and with no answer. Pleading for the police to take action before words turn into violence. Kamel Karamali, Global News. Coming up, preserving the best parts of our coast. These are historic moments that are only going to get stronger and bigger as we grow. A new marine protected area and why it's so important to save it. Also coming up, a better way for kids to get x-rays. Counterflow is out and traffic has been nice and light in both directions here at the Massey Tunnel this evening. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, Expert Care for Your Vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Canada's big supermarket chains are under fire for raking in record profits while the costs keep climbing for families trying to fill the grocery cart. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, experts say it's not just the grocers who should get the blame as inflation exposes long-standing problems with the country's food supply management system. Yeah, 30,000 litres of perfectly usable milk dumped down the drain. An Ontario farmer sparking outrage after posting the video on social media last week. He claims he was forced to discard the milk because quotas had already been met. According to food systems experts, Canada's supply management of dairy leads to this kind of wastage. The government needs to make dumping illegal. Uh, if you talk to dairy farmers of Canada, uh, everything is great. Nothing yet needs to be changed, which is, which is a problem. While supply management offers dairy farmers a decent living, as much as 300 million litres of milk is simply poured out before it leaves the farm. Meanwhile, Canadians pay more for milk than just about anywhere in the world. And the Canadian Dairy Commission approved a 2.2% price hike that kicked in February 1st. While food prices have fallen around the world, in Canada there are few signs of inflation easing in the grocery aisle. There's a bit of a new normal here. Uh, salaries have gone up, packaging costs have gone up, everything has gone up. And so 2022 really created new benchmarks. Many Canadians have pointed their fingers at the big grocery chains as a big part of the problem. The grocery sector has seen profits more than double over the pandemic. 
And on Monday, the House of Commons Agricultural Committee grilled senior leaders from chains across the country. My, con my constituents in Couch and Malahat Langford are looking at figures like that and they're looking at the food prices that they pay week to week. So you're, you're saying that uh, you know, you're, you're really not responsible for this? You cannot look at it absolute dollar terms. Okay. You have to look at it as a percentage of sales. We're a big company. Our revenues have increased uh, uh, this year because of inflation mm -hmm. and so are our, our expenses. Despite food inflation still running in the double digits, experts say the Canadian experience is actually better than in other countries. Canada with the second lowest food cost increases in the G7. Little comfort for as they watch their bills climb week after week. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. In health matters tonight, Fraser Health is introducing a better way to keep kids still during x-rays. It's called the Pediaposer chair and it's designed to mimic an adjustable high chair. It also rotates to all of the necessary angles. The one being used at Langley Memorial Hospital has helped younger patients stay still during the x-ray process and it means they're less likely to need a second round of imaging, making the overall process faster with less exposure to potentially harmful x-rays. Still ahead, a hockey original. When I played hockey, I was the only black person. How Alton White broke barriers in North America and beyond, and his personal connection to our own Jay Janower. And a big step to help preserve our precious marine environment. A massive marine area just off the coast of B.C. is one step closer to being protected from resource extraction. Coastal First Nations have signed an agreement with the feds for what would be the largest marine protected area on the west coast. As Kylie Stanton reports, the area is home to unique deep sea features. For thousands of years, First Nations have been the stewards of these waters, fighting to protect the sensitive marine environment and its features. And now, finally, congratulations. There's a milestone to celebrate. These are historic moments that are only going to get stronger and bigger as we grow together. In collaboration with Fisheries and Oceans Canada, First Nations have worked to design a new marine protected area being proposed off the west coast of Vancouver Island. From now on, it will be called Tongwan Hotchkwekok CG's Marine Protected Area. The MPA covers roughly 133,000 square kilometers, but will contribute approximately 0.88% to Canada's goal to conserve 25% of its ocean by the year 2025 and 30% by 2030. To protect this life from oil and gas activities, from deep sea mining, from pollution, from fishing practices, and anything that could harm it, is the, the shared responsibility we've all committed to. The area contains rare features like seamounts and hydrothermal vents, a home to deep water species found nowhere else on Earth. So today, we're not the only ones that are celebrating. Our relatives in the ocean are celebrating. But experts say MPAs only work if they're truly monitored. And with deep sea mining now on the verge of becoming an emerging industry, there are some concerns. Mining operation will imply a lot of noise and they will imply lots of turbidity. Both of them are very negative. If you want to protect an area, 
you cannot have a racket uh, in a, immediately adjacent to it. That said, with a memorandum of understanding in place between the First Nations and the federal government, it's expected those challenges will be managed appropriately. And those here say it's just the beginning. We have a lot more to do, and we're committed to that. We're committed for future generations. Callie Stanton, Global News. You get a feeling they're not going to fail. Pretty spectacular scene down there. Sure is. Mm. Worth protecting, no doubt. Uh, okay, a lot of people, or some people, were running for cover a little bit, including my son William when a hailstorm rolled through Kitsilano. They were driving through it. Uh, Christy, you got some more video of that, yeah. didn't you? We sure do. Yeah, I wanted to show you the video, but first, a just quick look at how much rain came down overnight through the morning hours. It was intense rainfall with some areas receiving 90 millimeters of rain in Metro Vancouver proper or Vancouver proper 30. But you can see the amounts in Mission, West Vancouver, for example. But then we got in behind it. And yes, a number of hailstorms came through. And William Galis was one of our great weather watchers. Here's a look. Thankfully, we, we saw some breaks of blue sky in between, but yes, definitely a few hailstorms and a few lightning strikes across the region. So thanks so much, William, for capturing that video. It's so great to have you participate in our show. All right, so this uh, the radar imagery, you can see the spotty conditions that we'll continue to see this evening. A few lightning strikes as well, so don't be surprised if you hear a rumbling of thunder. That moisture shifting in through the interior, most low-lying areas, so in the valleys, are mild today with highs reaching 9 and 10 degrees. But we've got winter storm warnings in place for the Pulsum Summit to Kootenai Pass for tonight, as well as the Coquihalla. So significant snow expected on the mountain passes as this starts to shift out of the region. Tomorrow, we've got sunshine on the way, but there's another system on deck for the coastal regions. Although we'll see sunshine, it will be mainly earlier in the day. You can expect increasing cloud by the afternoon hours and some rain for the west coast of Vancouver Island by the afternoon, whereas it will be dry here. Lots of sunshine for those of you in the interior, though, and for Metro Vancouver, we'll see a mix of sun and cloud, more cloud cover later in the day, and by tomorrow night, we're back into showers, and we'll continue to see those showers on Thursday and Friday with with mild temperatures, but nice to get a bit of sunshine tomorrow. Tonight, central windows weather window coming due from Kamloops, a beautiful shot. Travis sharing this with us. This is actually just from a couple of days ago when they had lots of sunshine because that wasn't really the case today. Okay, back to you two. No. All right, thanks, Christy. Well, the BCSPCA is dealing with what it is calling a post-COVID influx of dogs and puppies into their care centers. Recently, 21 golden retrievers, including 17 puppies, were surrendered by a breeder near Quinell. According to the SPCA, people who set up breeding operations during the pandemic are now shutting down their operations. As routines return to normal and people get back to offices, it seems that fewer people are getting pets, so some breeders are getting overwhelmed with the number of animals still left in their care. The dogs that were surrendered are awaiting medical clearance before they'll be placed up for adoption. But look at that face. Oh, they will have no trouble finding forever homes. You know it. Not with Squire, because Squire is <laughs> allergic, but... Mm -hmm. You can appreciate the puppy on TV squad. I understand the cuteness of it all. Yep. <laughs> I appreciate the cuteness. This part of my body and this part of my body do not appreciate it. Totally. It's not my fault. It's, it's their fair. fault. Okay. That's, that's right. 
Uh, Rick Tockett says the rest of this Canucks season is more about the process than it is about getting wins. So that rally last night to take New Jersey to overtime, they lost, but they rallied to take New Jersey to overtime, was a good step. A lot of guys played hard tonight. Um, a little more of an identity that I want them to play. I, I thought they, were, they felt it tonight. And the Canucks are now in Manhattan for game two of this road trip, which is tomorrow night against the Rangers. Also coming up, why Black History Month matters to former hockey player and BC resident Alton White, one of a kind for a lot of his career. The Canucks uh, hoping to improve in the infirmary as well with some injured players. Well, we keep waiting for this to happen. It seems to just keep going and going. Thatcher Demko being injured. Now, if Demko had played this season like he did last year and not gotten hurt on December 1st, Bruce Boudreaux would still be the Canucks coach because last season Thatcher Demko was the ultimate concealer. He covered up all the defensive warts Vancouver had. This year, all the warts have been exposed, and they're not attractive. But Demko is close to coming back from his lower body injury. He was practicing with the Canucks today, but only for 15 minutes, although he didn't look pretty agile in the workout at Madison Square Gardens where Vancouver plays the Rangers tomorrow night. We aren't sure yet when he'll be able to play. However, if we just go by the eye test right here, it looks like it can't be that far away. Now, watching Canucks Nation, the rest of this season will be a study in contrast. I mean, it was fun to see Vancouver rally from that 4-1 second period deficit last night in New Jersey to force overtime. But winning games will mean less of a chance at Connor Bedard. Win too many games and you'll have no chance at Connor Bedard. So there's a segment of the fan base that would love to watch exciting Canucks hockey without getting too many points. Last night, Vancouver did lose in overtime, so that gave them one point. But Rick Tockett, he was happy with the comeback. Bad things can happen sometimes. Things don't go your way. And uh, you're looking for fight from guys. And I saw that. You know, we still have to develop some wall guys. we got to de develop some inside guys. And when you play talented teams, you got to make sure you're gritty in those, in those situations. But we'll, we'll develop those guys, and i got to evaluate some other guys. But, yeah, um, the push was there. You're right. Third period, I thought we played well. They'll play Bo Horvat and the Islanders on Thursday, and tonight Bo Horvat scored from Matt Barzell. There it is. First goal for now number 14 with the Islanders as uh, New York is leading Seattle 4-0 in the third period. So Bo gets on the board. Uh, Alex Ovechkin being within range of Wayne Gretzky's goal-scoring record still seems unbelievable to the NHL. And LeBron James being within 36 points of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's point-scoring record is equally as mind-blowing for the NBA because a lot of people thought Kareem's record would never get touched. But tonight in Los Angeles, LeBron James could pass the former Laker Abdul-Jabbar and become the all-time leading scorer. They're taking on Oklahoma City. LeBron James, of course, came into the NBA by bypassing college. He came right from his high school team in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, and immediately showed that the tattoo he got in high school that says chosen one on his back was truly prophetic. 
to come out and he's going to fulfill a lot of expectations tonight. Maybe we should have known when he nailed his first NBA shot. LeBron James' first shot is good. Not only holding his own amongst grown men, but making it clear, I belong here. I knew that I was ready for the moment. I knew that uh, I belong in the greatest league in the world. Uh, but I didn't know what to expect. And maybe he was just born to do it. LeBron entering this world the same year the scoring record was last broken. It's in the Kareem. Kareem swing left, right hand, 12-footer, good! For 39 years, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record has stood a goal that seemed almost as unreachable as his patented skyhook. One that Kobe, Shaq, and even his heirness, Michael Jordan, didn't break. But for 20 spectacular seasons, LeBron's thunderous slams, thrilling buzzer beaters, to, to LeBron for three for the win, yes! And signature step-back jumpers, and got it, bakes it in! have just kept coming. Oh! And now, King James's coronation is imminent. I have not set out to do that. It wasn't like a goal of mine when I entered the league. And LeBron's train just keeps on smoking. This year, at the ripe old age of 38, he's averaging about 30 points per game, a mark unheard of for someone his age. LeBron down the and another two years' worth of points are likely on the horizon, with his eldest son beginning a new James NBA journey in 2024. I got to be on the floor with Bronny. That would be ideal for sure. Being with him, spending a full year with him in the same uniform, um, that, would be, that would be the icing on the cake. But that doesn't mean he'd be willing to relinquish his throne so easily. He got a long way to get to me. <laughs> so does everyone, LeBron. So does everyone. Yeah, coming soon to an NBA arena near you, LeBron and Bronny, father and son. What Amazing. a show. Amazing. Thank you, Squire. All right, just ahead for Black History Month, Jay Janauer has the story of Alton White, not only a groundbreaking athlete, but a family friend, too. February is Black History Month, and tonight the story of Alton White, a black hockey player who paved the way for many others after him. Jay Janauer has more on this cutting-edge figure in Canada's favorite game, including his personal connection to Mr. White. Willie O'Ree was the first black hockey player in professional hockey, and this man, Alton White, was the second. White suited up in eight different jerseys during his professional hockey career, but he never got to skate in the National Hockey League, despite having the skill and point totals worthy of an NHL career. When I was growing up, everybody used to say, well, you're going to be another Willie O'Ree. Everybody's goal in Winnipeg growing up, you want to play in the NHL. I thought I was good enough, but, uh, you know, and, I, and my, my stats show that I could have played. I could put the puck in the net, I could skate, but... Everybody, for some reason or another, they say, well, 
ah, maybe it's too small. I don't think you can handle it. White started making headlines and putting up serious numbers as a teenager. He ripped up junior hockey and was a regular fixture on the score sheet. Sharing the ice and dressing room for three seasons as Alton's teammate was my late father, Walter. This is my dad sporting the 60s brush cut. Wally always had a smile on his face. When I met you as a child and, and my dad had such great pride in introducing me to you, I didn't see a black man. I saw a friend and a teammate of my dad. Well, we grew up together. We're kids. We're friends. And when you're friends like that, there's no color difference. You know, you're, you're colorblind. Unfortunately, that all changed during Alton's first season as a pro down in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where for the first time in his life, the color of his skin was in sharp contrast to the Comets jersey he sported and the ice he skated on. Fort Wayne, there's no mingling. There's the, it's blacks and whites, and they don't get together very well. So at the games, I was the only black player, and in the stands, there were no black faces. And even though he'd be one of the team's star players, finding a place to live alongside his white teammates was an issue. The first few places we went, they'd always say, oh, well, uh, no, I don't think so. And then uh, the, there's a, one place specifically we went, and uh, it was a nice place. Four, four guys, four-bedroom place, and Kenny Satella said, hey, this is great. So anyway, the lady went around the corner, and she said, she motioned to Kenny, she said, no, you can't live here because he's colored. And that's the first time that really hit me. White would go on to leave his mark on professional hockey. Aside from that first year in Fort Wayne, he'd score no fewer than 20 goals a season. How important is the month for you? Well, it, it, recognition is, is very important to me because when I played hockey, I was the only black person. And now there's more and more black people getting involved, or people of color, I'll say, getting involved. So uh, I, I think it's important because it shows that hockey is for everybody. Great story. Yeah, yeah. Really and is. And, you, and uh, great guy. And if you're wondering about those uniforms, that's the World Hockey Association. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles Sharks was one of the uniforms he wore. It's vintage stuff today, yeah. if you can find it no anywhere. Kidding. Good story, Jay. Thank mm -hmm. you for that. All right, let's uh, check in with Christy one last time for a final word on weather. We still have a possibility of a rumble of thunder tonight, but overall we've got a clearing trend on the way. So sunshine tomorrow morning, but we'll likely start to see cloud cover later in the day with a high of 6 degrees. We're back into periods of rain, or I should say showers on and off on Thursday and Friday, but at least it will be mild once again with a high of 9 degrees. All right, looking forward to that. And thanks for running Will's video. I know he'll be very impressed by that. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.